It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Farm Talk with John O'Connor. Later in the program, an extension of the deadline for EU animal remedies implementation has been welcomed. Also, Chagask expert on grass and breeding. But first, some updates. The IFA president, Tim Cullinan, has paid tribute to Alan Gillis, who passed away on Friday, 6th of May, 2022, describing him as a passionate and progressive voice for Irish farming. Mr Gillis served as president of the IFA from 1990 to 1994. Tim Cullinan said Alan Gillis had been a determined leader for farmers during a period of significant change in the sector. Tim Cullinan extended his sympathies to the Gillis family on behalf of the IFA. And Farm Talk also add our condolences to the Gillis family. The Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConnell, TD, and Minister of State with Special Responsibility for Research and Innovation, Martin Hayden, TD, on 12th of May, launched a new landmark research initiative with the New Zealand Minister for Agriculture, Damien O'Connor, MP. JRM, the Joint Research Mechanism, will focus on reduction of greenhouse gas emissions and enhanced carbon sequestration in ruminant pasture-based production systems. ICSA President Mr Dermot Kelleher said he's concerned that young trainee farmers are getting a raw deal on a small minority of host farms where they do their replacements for the green cert. He said he wants to see fair play for all trainee farmers on placement. He said he had personally been contacted in a number of cases where the trainees had been treated allegedly as a source of cheap labour, doing the same repetitive task over and over and where learning opportunities had been severely constrained. He is making representations to Chagas to look for a review of protocols to ensure that young trainee farmers have a positive experience when on placement. Mr Kelleher said, at a time when we are seeing some progress on encouraging more female farmers, it's now more important than ever to review how the system works and to ensure that every host farm is carefully vetted on an ongoing basis. The Minister of Agriculture, Mr Carl Luke, and Minister of State, with responsibility for land use and biodiversity, Senator Pippa Hackett, have announced the Pilot Farm Environmental Study, FES, is now open for applications. Applications should be made for this 5 million pilot farm scheme through the department's online application portal, www.agfood.ie, all lowercase. 
And the Minister for Agriculture, Mr McConlugue, has announced approval for a scheme which will provide €45 million in funding for capital investment projects in seafood processing enterprises. And the Minister has also announced a €24 million 2022 Brexit Voluntary Temporary Fishing Vessel Tie-Up Scheme for certain trawlers. The scheme is an extension of the 2021 tie-up scheme with some modifications. Funding is being provided, as understood, under the European Union Brexit Adjustment Reserve, BAR. In all, €24 million will be invested in the operation. And the Minister, Mr McConnell, on 9th of May, announced an extension of the transition period for the requirement of a veterinary prescription to dispense antiparasitic medicines and introduction of mandatory electronic prescriptions. has been extended to December 1st, 2022. West Cork-based Carberry Group was recently announced the overall winner of the Cork Chamber Cork Company of the Year Awards 2022. The awards, now in the 24th year, were announced during the Cork Chamber Dinner at Parky Cueve. Our news reporter, Marie Tuig from Farm Talk, spoke to Jason Hawkins, CEO of Carberry Group. We're absolutely incredibly humble and delighted with the result here tonight. Quite frankly, given the other nominees here tonight, uh, we're surprised to, to win this award, but absolutely excited. And take me back, I suppose, during COVID. I mean, how did it affect business for you? So certainly COVID was, was very challenging like other businesses, but being in the food industry, obviously, you know, it was a critical industry. Uh, it was important that we continue to operate, uh, continue to provide food um, to all of our customers in Ireland and internationally. Um, and to be fair, our employees really responded to that challenge and we continued um, to both service our customers and grow the business. And uh, take me to now, how's business now and what's morale like? Well, morale is fantastic as we start getting back together and we start getting to travel a little bit more and meet our colleagues that we haven't seen um, in a couple of years. And we're very excited about, you know, as, as we come out of COVID in terms of the opportunities that we see um, around the world. And what does an award like this mean for you guys? You know, it, it, for me and for us, it's really a recognition of the efforts of our people. Um, so, you know, again, like you mentioned, through COVID, things were tough. Um, our employees responded incredibly well during that. And an award like this really recognises not only their hard work and commitments, um, but the overall success of the company over these many years. And if you had a message, I suppose, you know, Tisha, Michal Martin will be here, a number of government ministers. Is there any, I suppose, thing from the business community that you could say to them, look, this would be of great benefit to us? You know, I, I think, you know, we're, you know, a small West Cork, company by our origin and um, we've grown internationally um, and I think that's you know while obviously you know the the international companies have been very successful and I think you know have a great role in the ecosystem and um, but supporting indigenous Irish companies uh, from the, the ground up I think um, is really important and I, th- I would say just more of that please. And one final one for any we we'll say a startup that's listening or someone who's thinking of you know starting their own business what advice could you give to them? I would say you know there are lots of people out there. There are always people who are looking to help startups and help people and network. So don't be afraid to reach out. Don't be afraid to look for help. I think you'll find, um, again, lots of companies, lots of organisations, lots of people uh, would only be delighted to help and support you on your journey. And that report with Mairead Tuig of 96.103 FM News and Farm Talk. Next, the Mock Report.
Hi, John. It's Marie Tier, Ballincollig PRO and Shandoon PRO. Best of luck to the group of mocker cyclists who will be taking on the challenge of cycling from Mizzen to Mallon next week. Funds raised as part of this challenge will go towards the Irish Cancer Society, Embrace Farm and Make the Move. Macra Affirma's AGM will take place today, May 14th, in the Clayton Hotel in Sligo. The impromptu debating finals will also take place this evening in the same hotel, so best of luck to all involved. Michael Curran has commenced his role as Chief Executive of Macra. Mick Curran is a native of Waterville in County Kerry and he comes from a farming background. The board of Macra thanked Derry Dillon for filling the role of interim CEO over the past number of months. Keep an eye on our club social media pages to see what we're up to. And new members are always welcome. Thank you. And thank you, Mairead. Mairead Tuig. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, Mr Marco Sullivan, B&T Dairy Advisor, Chagas West Cork, Darara, Clonakilty. Now, you agreed to talk to our listeners about uh, grass growth and breeding and aspects of those uh, topics. So, first of all... Would it be true to say that grass growth has pretty obviously increased significantly in the last week? To be fair, the last week, 10 days really, grass is starting to, to shoot out of the ground. Um, and just maybe a couple of things, I won't talk too much um, on quality because I know it's been covered before, but just a couple of things, um, maybe to keep that quality in the sward. It can become a challenge, particularly when demand um is lower than the growth rate so the the two main things that i'd be looking for at farm level with my clients would be not to have more than 10 days grass ahead on farm so from a point of view for the people that are measuring grass and and following the figures that would be a cover per cow of 170 or or an average farm cover of six six hundred to 650 uh would be ideally where you'd set it at i suppose the covers that that are two-thirds of the way there or a thousand kgs per hectare covers they're the ones really that i'm looking at to monitor that they don't go ahead because if they go ahead and they're probably growing double on average the growth rate them covers um the old saying grass grows grass them ones are really um bombing on as, as as the phrase goes so i suppose a couple of things on that um if they do get ahead that that stimulus that can come um, will be a cumulative effect on farm and we're always going to be playing catch up so I mentioned the 10 days ahead and the other thing really is the 20 day rotation length and I see it even at farm level myself John some of the covers particularly the newer uh, reseeded grounds and the paddocks that are only a couple of years old some of them paddocks really need to be going in uh, grazing them every 16 or 17 days or they will get ahead and I suppose just finally on that the, the advantages of grazing the covers that are at, I, I'd always say the two to two and a half fists height. Um, the advantage in terms of the, the increase in intakes, there's more leaf um, and they're more digestible in the in the sward. Um, yeah, there be the two things, the 10 days ahead and the rotation length of no more than 20 days from here on in. And uh, Mark, as you're pointing out there, very important that farmers would manage the quality in the swards in the increased uh, grass growth we've seen in the last week. As you pointed out there, some very important tips in your answer there. Turning to surplus paddocks, how many farms have cut surplus paddocks? Have many farms cut surplus paddocks from your uh, travels around visiting your clients? 
Yeah, I suppose then there's, there's two parts of it. So Some have actually, uh, at the lower stocking rate, have actually waited to put surpluses in with the main first cut. Um, farms that would be maybe slightly lower stocked and the ones that are higher stocked, maybe over three, have actually taken them out. So they're still back in relatively quick. I suppose, again, a couple of points on it. If we're taking out surpluses, so four bales to the acre of surplus will take off roughly 1,500 gallons of slurry nutrient-wise. So four bales to the acre, which would be a strong surplus paddock, will, will require 1,500 gallons to replace the nutrients that come off. So I know a lot of farms don't have a lot of slurry left in the tank. So to me, I'd like them to target where the surplus bales are coming off and maybe target the, the lower nutrient um, paddocks and one farmer last week in a group made the comment that the aftergrass if he said in the group if we're seeing uh, farms are um, jumping in output when they go into aftergrass I would just maybe question why farmers would be taking a, an increase in output because it's a sign to me that the quality of grass maybe that they're going into now or before the aftergrass maybe maybe suboptimum and then maybe need to adjust that they go into the covers maybe a slight bit less. Earlier you were saying that um, butterfat percentage seemed to be still low in milk at the moment. Now, could you just comment on that, the causes of uh, butterfat percentage being low and ways of remedying this? Yeah, so it's every year around this time, John, and maybe in the last couple of weeks, butterfat does tend to drop uh, tends to even itself out now in the next couple of weeks as we head towards the end of May when the quality and the the plant actually starts to heads out or starts, starts to seed. So just just one one or two things. On the expected, your expected fat for the end of the year or your average fat, once you're within 0.3% of that, so if you average 4% in the year and your fat butter fat drops to 3.7% in the month of May, it's not a thing to, it's not a, Alarm bells are not going. So I suppose where your base is, 0.3 would be anywhere within that range if you're getting to 0.4. Re remedies, really, there's not, a, there's not that many magic remedies. There's different um, additives that you can add. Um, but I don't know that they make a, a huge difference. Uh, just the way the quality of the grass is, um, it tends to even itself out. Um, it'll tend to even itself out in the next couple of weeks. And I suppose, similarly with the protein, just as I, I, I'm on it, usually that's maybe 0.1% behind your, your yearly average at this point, um, at this point of the, of the year. Uh, and if you're more than that, even up to 0.2. So if you average 3.5 for the year and you find your protein down at 3.3, it's maybe a cause for concern that maybe the cows are not getting enough energy and maybe go back to the grass quality maybe to look at that again. Now, turning to breeding itself, the breeding season well underway, how is it actually going on farm from, you know, your surveys of your clients? Yeah, so with the groups, a couple of groups in the last week to 10 days, um, generally it's going quite well from what I'm from here. Submission rates uh, or the number of cows that are served is quite good and on target. So I suppose Chagas would have a figure of 90% submission rate in the first three weeks. So that's roughly 4% of the herd um, that's roughly 4% of the herd a day to be submitted for breeding um, or to put that a 100 cow herd would be anywhere between 25 to 30 cows um, a week to be submitted I suppose just on the breeding side of it is um, I suppose there has been 
a bigger uptake of sex semen this year, but not to um, looking at the number of placements required. So for for a herd that is looking for 20 replacements, we still need to be using 80 to 100 straws. So there's a big variation between the 80 and 100, um, which would be four to five dairy straws for one replacement to calve down within two years. The variation within that, I would encourage people to look back at their records to see how many of the straws they used over the years um, and how many replacements they got. So some very, very fertile herds maybe get away with using four and maybe the less fertile herds would have to use up to five straws um, to get to get a replacement. And maybe on the bulls, just one comment, and I'll and I touch on health and safety in a second, John, on them, but just some herds are actually switching to the stock bulls quite early once they have their quota for, um, as I mentioned, with their, their replacement rate. Just expecting bulls to do miracles is, is something that every year comes up, um, and maybe just two things on the on the... The bulls, a mature bull, 25 and maximum 30 empty cows to be with to, a, a mature bull, and the younger bulls, um, 10 to 15 max, and as an old rule would be one one empty cow for um, for every age the bull is one empty cow. So a 16 month old bull would be maximum 16 empty cows, and even that would be yeah stretching it, but on the maximum. I suppose the risks. They're unable to keep up, and particularly if people are switching bulls very early, so after four and five weeks, there could be a lot of cows bulling uh, two and three a day still, and if there's only one bull able to keep up, they may struggle. So what some people do is they'll switch the bulls, uh, switch them day and night, which just gives the bull downtime or rest period. And just on the health and safety side of bulls, John, we'd like to encourage more to be getting away from stock bulls from a health and safety point of view, and genetics also but I see one farmer what he does he trains the bull to the back of the collecting yard uh, he has a bucket of ration and every couple of days he will rattle the bucket and train the bull to stay out of the parlour and the other side I'd mention is and I think I mentioned it a year ago as well John on the getting the bulls or getting the cows in with the tractor just it gives you some bit of um, safety that you're not uh, vulnerable I suppose to a bull attack Never turn your back on a bull, particularly on a bull, and always make sure that you have a means of escape. And remember, you mightn't be as nimble as you were years ago, and make sure you can get out safely from any tricky situation. Uh, it's like, uh, I suppose, coming between a heifer and her newborn calf for whatever reason. You've given us plenty of tips there regarding breeding, etc. But turning to other sources of information, other reports or other information sources that people could uh, refer to? Yeah, I suppose so Herd Plus members on ICBF, John, there's a couple of reports that they can look on, and one I'll focus on is the weekly fertility report. Um, there's a very good visual graph on it that um, monitors your submission rates versus the target. So it's a very good guide as to where you are in terms of along the, along the road, in terms of your submission rates or the number of cows that you've served. And particularly now as, I suppose, the number of cows that are bulling become less and less every week we go on. Uh, and they become harder to detect. Them, them graphs are very, very um, beneficial. And I suppose the action list in terms of being able to identify the cows not cycling um, or the cows that have not, they're not calved long enough to be submitted, they'll be picked up on the action list bulls. Um, and I suppose it, yeah, go back to the, the two things, the, the number of heifers and the number of straws. 
and the, the actual bowl not to be expecting the bulls to be working miracles John would be the two things maybe I'd finish out on Thank you very much indeed Mr Mark O'Sullivan B&T Dairy Advisor Chagas Cork West Derara Clonakilty of course in the rest of the county and we would just add by way of a plug our sponsor Dairy Gold they publish an interesting magazine Milk Matters supporting sustainable farming and in the May issue, Butterfat at Grass, which we've discussed in some detail, control of ragworth and rushes, soil biological health, and more information on breeding, new beef mating option added to sire service. So all available in the Dairy Gold Agribusiness Milk Matters magazine, available online or from the co-op branches. Thank you very much indeed, Mark. Thanks a million. Thanks, uh, John. You're very welcome. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk Programme, we have Mr TJ Marr, the IFA National Animal Health Committee Chair. TJ, welcome to the programme. Now, recently, there's been some very good news for farmers. John, a bit of good news for farmers for the year ahead, and that the, EU, the Minister has decided to defer the introduction of the EU regulation, which makes uh, anti-parasitic full antibiotics required and uh, prescription uh, to purchase them be deferred until the 1st of December 2022. So what does that mean? Essentially, uh, for the next six months, farmers can go to their local merchants uh, who uh, go up to their local licensed rep uh, or to a fair agricultural pharmacy that sells those, and they can purchase their antiparasitics as normal. Um, and I think given the situation that the National Veterinary Prescription System certainly wasn't up to scratch and wasn't fully operational. It was a very difficult situation that farmers are going to face in trying to access their required treatments for their calves and cattle sheep during the course of the year. So I think a sensible decision was made. The systems are not ready. But I think here now we are at the key point where the department has to address uh, the issues of supply uh, for the farmer to ensure that, uh, that they can get access to reasonably priced anti-parasitics going forward and to ensure that the market isn't dominated by one sector. And you refer there to systems. The Chief Veterinary Officer, Mr Martin Blake, he said that IT problems, technical problems, had to be ironed out before we could launch a truly efficient system. Yeah, the, the department have been piloting what, has been, what they are calling the new National Veterinary Prescription System, which is a long, an electronic prescription system which all vets in the country uh, will eventually be operating, but only a number in every county are participating at the moment. And it, it is throwing up difficulties in, in that it's, it's quite slow. Um, it isn't doing uh, what the vets want at the speed they want it. And ultimately, if the vet isn't able to provide a prescription that the farmer can take to his local merchants to purchase uh, the antiparasitics uh, under the new regulation, which become antibiotics, well, then the, the farmer has no choice but to buy them at the vets. And certainly, from our perspective, while veterinary practices offer very good service to their farmers, it's our view that uh, farmers are entitled uh, to have supply choice. And I think that is the key perspective that, um, that we are looking at to ensure that the, the system is operational. Now, along with that, the CVO, Martin Blake, did also indicate that there are some supply issues that have emerged as a result of the Ukraine war. They're not overly significant, but at the same time, it probably wasn't a good idea to start uh, introducing major uh, trade distortion measures, which could have happened 
uh, if there was any supply issues as well. So look, uh, and the combination of the two issues. Uh, Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. As a result, is when we believe it's a sensible decision, but we have, uh, at the last anti-parasitic meeting, we did indicate that urgent action was needed now for real engagement with the, far- with the farmers uh, the co-ops and licensed nurses to, to reach a sensible agreement with the departments and in conjunction with the vets and how the system can operate to ensure that both, both all parties can continue to operate uh, successfully and I think that's the key objective for everybody because look we do accept uh, that anti-parasitic resistance is becoming more of an issue and we have as I said on the previous time of this programme welcomed uh, the introduction of the TAD for veterinary practices, which gives two free fecal egg counts to farmers and allows them one free visit. Uh, so we would encourage farmers to take part in that, develop as much knowledge as they can around the worm burden on their farms and use the science and methodologies we have there to correctly administer and use the right antiparasitics for control. That's in all of our interests, and we absolutely encourage that. But we also have to ensure the farmers are able to get the supply of the right products at the right time as well. Was it ever an issue, or is it still an issue, regarding the duration of the prescription? If you get a prescription, must you use up that prescription within a set defined time? Um, As as we have been been proposed under the NDPS, the prescription that would be provided to the farmer would would have a 12-month lifeline for the purchase of antiparasitics. That doesn't mean he had to purchase all of them at one time, but it would enable him uh, to purchase them as required as part of his health program. So, look, that is crucial for us. Obviously, uh, the, the uh, administration of, of, of uh, drugs is obviously slightly different in that that prescription must be filled in five days. So there is there's a small difference there. Would every farmer have to have a computer or at least be computer literate to some extent? You know, people who uh, find it hard uh, adapting to the online system, which must be used now in nearly every application for entitlements. But would every farmer have to have a computer, I wonder? No, absolutely not. Uh, the option would be there for paper prescription. And uh, the, the methodology anticipated is all of this should be operable through your mobile phone. And as we know... Uh, Almost, almost every well, according to the numbers, we have more phones in this country than we have people. But certainly, the vast majority uh, of farmers will have mobile phones, uh, and I think that would be the most efficient 
uh, manner on which for the system to operate. But we do have to accept the reality. Uh, it's a farmer. It's a vet in the farmer's yard, and there is no coverage. I know because it happens in my own yard. Uh, there has to be the possibility where alternative methodologies can be used. Um, uh, so look at uh, this is this is the challenges that the veterinary prescription system is going to face until it has faced a further six months of um, testing and in-field examination. And I think th- those are the challenges that the department will have to rectify, along with a reasonable uh, system of uh, administering these prescriptions to veterinary practices, co-ops and licensed merchants so that they are easily uh, managed uh, and that the people in offices who are suitably qualified have the ability to dispense these, these what will be now become anti-parasitic antibiotics. The one quoted uh, comments from a merchant, uh, he said, it's a massive relief for merchants. We welcome the extension and look forward to engaging with the Department of Agriculture on how we can meet the changes to the e-regulations. So at least acknowledgement from one merchant, probably speaking as a representative of several merchants, very welcome indeed. And I suppose... It is an example of where your lobbying did no harm at all. The, the incessant lobbying when people thought this is cut and dried, that's it, still you lobbied away, and we now have a reconsideration and a bit of flexibility. And, and, and we would hope that as part of that continued lobbying, which would have to take place in a very serious way over the next couple of months in discussions with the department, that accessible and workable solutions can be worked out. And if we continue in the same level of practical thinking, I'm, hope, I'm sure we can. The vets are also included in the whole issue of bovine TB, which has been plaguing us for donkey's years. But recently, back on 4th of May, the Minister for Agriculture, Mr McConnell, he referred to the 13th meeting of the TB Stakeholder Forum and the ultimate target, of course, of reducing bovine TB and driving towards eradication by 2030. What's your update on the TB situation? Do you feel we are now making progress and that TB stakeholder forum is of some use? Well, I was present at the forum as the USA representative on the day when the minister spoke and we did welcome the minister's participation and he has taken an active interest in it. I think it's his fourth forum to attend um, and he has actively engaged uh, with the officials to try and pursue difficulties where there was log jams. So, look, uh, I think um, in particular he's been critically important in uh, acquiring a million euros extra for the wildlife watchers, which is critically important in terms of dealing with ongoing spread. Uh, look, the, re- the difficulty with TB at the moment is uh, the number of herds nationally restricted is up to 4.38%, up from 4.20 last year. And that's not a significant overall increase, but the reality is it's still an increase. And unfortunately, in your part of the world, in the Cork region, uh, east and east and north in particular, uh, there, there are particularly strong, difficult outbreaks of TB, uh, and more and more farmers in the region being affected. So, as always, TB tends to be cyclical in areas and also tends to hit some areas harder than others. So, we are I would say trying to develop processes and programs which will assist in managing TB outbreaks better where they are, but there is no doubt, and we have made this point on continuous occasions to the department, the farmers that are going down with TB this year are suffering far greater 
low than farmers for many years because of the absolutely enormous increase in overhead costs. Uh, and also, if you are lucky enough to lose production animals, whether they be sucker cows or milking cows, you're obviously losing valuable animals whose production was never more valuable through sucker calves or milk. Um, and obviously, that's a huge income blow to the farmer. And even today, we were lobbying the department to the financial working group to try and develop further programs to increase the support structures for farmers through the income supplementation scheme. Because while 95% of farmers don't have TB, the reality is the 438 4.5% who do at this present moment are carrying a huge burden for the rest of us. And we certainly can't leave them to be economically exposed because in this year of 2022, cash flow pressures are enormous on all farms. And we certainly have to ensure that they're not left too exposed. You referred in passing to the wildlife problem when we think of uh, badgers and their potential or possible role. Would vaccination of badgers be a factor at any stage? <coughs> the, wild, the badger, badger wildlife control program operates in, in two formats. It operates under license from the National Parks and Wildlife because badger is a protected species. Under, under, under those licenses, there are both full licenses and vaccination licenses. Um, cold licenses take place where there is disease present or as part of the vaccination program to get down the density of badgers to a level that will allow the vaccination program to be successful and to have the best possible outcome. And I, look, the, the, key, the, key, uh, the key issue with the vaccination program is that it effectively halves or, or, or sorry, reduces by two thirds the potential spread of disease from one badger to another if it becomes infected. So yeah, we're all familiar with COVID and the R numbers. So it's effectively reducing the R number by two thirds, which is a pretty dramatic improvement. But the key issue is that if you have excessive numbers of badgers in your region, there are just too many badgers and the spread will continue to 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 cattle. So I think part of that program. Um, farmers have a key role and have been playing, playing a key role to date this year. There are 4,700 extra sects have been identified around the country through the wildlife program uh, and, and assisted by the farmer. These services operating uh, the capture program and by farmers identifying where sets are. So that's a key part of the program. Uh, I, I think the management and control of the wildlife, uh, whether it be badger or deer in, in some sectors, is critical uh, to ensure we have. Uh, a, a proper proper disease management system that not only focuses on the spread within farm, but the environment is spread outside the control of the farm. Thank you very much, TJ. And I suppose it's in order that we would uh, offer our congratulations to Miss Amanda Mooney, who has been elected vice chair of the IFA National Animal Health Committee, succeeding your good self, who was elected as chair in January. So congratulations to Wicklow Farber, Miss Amanda Mooney, the new vice chair of the IFA Animal Health Committee. So I think it's in order we would recognise that there's a lady in charge. Absolutely. Look, Amanda has been a great addition to our commission and she's very, very committed to dealing with the TB situation because she has, she has gone through it for many years because of her location in Wicklow and it's something she, she not only holds dearly but it's felt a serious financial pain of it as well. So Amanda's a huge addition to our committee uh, and we're, I look forward to working with her and uh, so to put our best foot forward on behalf of farmers all over the country. 
Thank you very much indeed for speaking to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk Programme. Mr TJ Marr, the IFA National Animal Health Committee Chair. Thank you TJ very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk Programme, Miss Ashley Mean, Agricultural Solicitor. First of all, Ashley, welcome to the programme. Now, in rural areas, indeed anywhere in the world, but particularly for the listeners in our area, the whole issue of succession, transferring the family farm and fair deal, nursing home scheme, etc. What do you think, what would you suggest might be the first step for people who are considering succession or trying to arrange a good, fair format for transfer of the family farm? So the first step in succession and uh, transferring the family farm. Hi, thanks, John, for having me on. The first step would always be, I think, is to talk and to talk it out and to open the communications. Um, I suppose with my work with, with family farms, I, and I suppose obviously I, I deal only with, with farming and agriculture in my practice, um, generally I find that the parents don't know what to do most of the time, and that's why they don't know why what to put in a will, or they might delay doing a will, or they might delay trying to talk about succession because they don't know who to give it to or how to deal with it. And what I would often say is that, listen, if you can sit down around the table, you might be surprised at what you hear back. But often the parents can be trying to figure out, you know, what's going to happen down the line, where are children going to be, where are they going to settle, who are they going to end up with, you know, what kind of jobs they're going to be in, who might be interested in farming. And so sometimes if you throw it back to the kids and you go, well, listen, there's a farm here, there's a, certain, there's a pot, it can only be divided out so many ways. Can you come up with proposals as to, you know, what's, what's in store? And I suppose my own background is that I come from a, a family farm, dairy farm, and we were sat down at a young age, I remember, um, and I have three brothers and myself, and it was with a farm of 62 acres, adjusted acres. And my two older brothers put up their hands and said, yeah, absolutely, we want to go farming. And at that stage then, you know, my parents said, OK, well, then we need to grow the things to be able to create viable farm units for each of the family members. Now, I've ended up, subsequently, I suppose, I and my husband bought our own farm because, obviously, I have the love for farming as well. Um, but I think if you ha- the earlier you have that conversation, I think the earlier it is to start putting plans in place. And then there isn't a disappointment afterwards or the fact that people might be kind of wondering, going, oh, where is it going to end up? Or, you know, might have certain expectations and then those expectations mightn't come to fruition. So it just helps, I suppose, with longer-term family relations, if you can open it up and, and, and put it on the table and talk it out and have that kind of, I suppose, open communication if possible. And I know at the same time that's not always possible. I suppose I've come across different family farms where communication can be a bit fraught. Um, uh, so in that case, I, don't, I suggest you know that you bring in a neutral person, be it a family member, somebody that all parties would respect and that could be a taggish advisor or an agricultural consultant um, it could be a solicitor it could be an mediator um, and indeed down your direction in Mallow with Claire O'Keefe um, who, who provides that service where she's an accredited mediator and deals with family farms so it's, you know if, it's, if, if you find that having a, fam- a family chat around the table can end up in a shouting match or then, well, then it's probably best then to get in a neutral person to try and, I suppose, chair that meeting and a good, strong chair that they keep manners on people, but at the same time let everyone have their word and have their say. 
But ultimately, I suppose it's the parent's decision as to generally who who gets what. Um, but I, I find if the parents actually encourage children to talk up, encourage them to give their views, um, that typically they have more respect then and they tend to, you know, accept the decision of the parents better when they feel that they've had a say in the decision-making process. Very reasonable, because you can get a situation with the best will in the world, you can get people developing false assumptions. You can have a situation where false assumptions uh, develop. For example, if there are a number of children in the family and only one child remains, be it the daughter or son, remains on the land, works the farm, holds onto the farm, and uh, the other, all of the other children emigrate or take up other professions in life. But then, when the parents pass away, if a clear will hasn't been written, if a clear path to succession hasn't been set out, with everyone's agreement and understanding, you could get a situation where, at the reading of the will, the family come together, assuming, falsely, that they have an equal right to the land, and that would mean the one chap out of the five who stayed on, kept the family farm, would have to settle for a fifth. You know, if, for, if there are five people, settle for only a share. So very important to set out clearly the status and the rights and position of each child in the family. Yes, absolutely. And I suppose you hit the nail in the head there as well, because sometimes when it's not spoken about, there can be a big surprise in at the stage where the will is is read out and people mightn't have any idea about what's in the will. And quite apart from the legal or the tax consequences, like I would see the emotional consequences where it can leave scars, I would say, long-term, where children, if they expected certain things and then it didn't come to pass, that unfortunately the only person who knows the reason why it was done or divided up in a certain way is no longer there to answer those questions. So that emotionally that can be very difficult for, we'll say, children. Whereas if the parents are comfortable enough to talk about it while they're alive, even though the kids might be disappointed, at least they can have that conversation with the parents and the parent can explain why they're doing things the way they are. And I just find that that kind of gives greater peace and harmony then to the child um, because at least they've had an opportunity to discuss it and an opportunity to question and to query why things are being done the way they are being done. Um, The other thing I'd say then is, you know, around, um, as you said, you know, there might be one child that might be working the farm and there might be other kids that have moved away. Again, it very much depends on the parents and I suppose their attitudes. Um, I'd have some parents that would come to me and they'd be very strong in their views that, you know, maybe other kids have got an education They've, you know, generally been provided for their financially independent and so that, you know, provision, the farm has given them what they needed in terms of just getting on in life and that the majority of the, we'll say, the assets being the farm should go to the child who, I suppose, took on the farm. Um, I've other situations then um, where, you know, the people, we'll say the parents of the unit, especially I find the mothers can have a view where, maybe they were overlooked in their own family and maybe it was the eldest boy or, you know, typically might have been earmarked for the farm. And even though they might have had an interest in farming, that they didn't get a, they didn't get an opportunity. So that, you know, they might have a different attitude saying, well, I want, so, like, if, if there's 
other kids that are interested in farming, they want some of the land to go to those other kids. Or alternatively, they want maybe some sort of a monetary contribution. But it's, it's really balancing up, I suppose, um, you know, the size of the farm and the amount of money that can be generated out of the farm. Because again, years ago, I suppose, a cash lump sum tended to be given to other family members. And that left a very sour taste in the mouth of a lot of farmers because really they couldn't afford it. And they were kind of living from, you know, hand to mouth for a good number of years to try and pay off brothers and sisters. And where they kind of felt that they were left their own children quite and their own families quite vulnerable. So I find that they say, well, I'm, I want to ensure that that's not going to happen to the next generation. And sometimes it caused, you know, conflict between families where they felt maybe brothers and sisters were well off and that they still had to give them a lump sum. Because like, you look at a farm, if it's, you know, 100 acres, 120 acres, a price tag of, you know, a million euros. But really, it's not worth a million euros because that's only in a situation where it's sold. Whereas the intention is, and what happens in a lot of family farms is it's not those that it's be passed on to the next generation. So that when you're looking at the money's worth, it's really what's the annual value that comes out of the farm. What is the farm capable of generating? If that's 10 or 20 grand a year, well, then that's what I would look at. It's capitalizing the annual income out of the farm rather than looking at the farm as an asset and in terms of money's worth. And that's an expression we often hear, asset rich. Farmers can be asset rich, they can have plenty of land. But when you look at what that land is bringing in in terms of income, it could be extremely poor and not even enough to sustain a family. So asset rich and income poor, that can be a factor in farms and very important. Have a meeting where everyone would have their minds concentrated. Now, would you recommend that... Speaking to Miss Ashling Mean agricultural solicitor. Ashling, you mentioned a person in Mallow who could uh, perform a role as mediator. There was a name you mentioned in Mallow where perhaps people could um, seek out mediation. You might please remind our listeners about that name, please. Yeah, Claire O'Keefe is her name. She, I, I, she's a fellow Nuffield scholar, right, in a thing called the, a Nuffield Farming Scholarship a number of years ago. And Claire did it also. Um, and she provides um, a mediation service. But um, she's a farmer herself and uh, she's an accredited mediator. So, you know, would be very good in the soft skills. So she wouldn't necessarily cover the legal or the tax side of it or financial. Um, but it's very much teasing out, you know, kind of more of the emotional issues, the softer issues around, you know, succession. And, and, and so that everyone feels that they have a voice and that they're listened to um, and, you know, she's, she's, as I said, she's farming herself, but she also deals with a lot of family farms in terms of mediation and, and succession planning. Um, so I've, I've worked with her before, and um, it's, it's always, I've generally heard good feedback. So I'm, I'm available on the phone anytime. Um, it's 061 368 412. Uh, that's 061 368 412. And I'm based just, I'm 10 minutes from uh, Limerick City. I'm on the Limerick side of Clare. Um, and then I have a website, naturally enough, and you can even book consultations on the website. And it's just agri-solicitors. If you Google agri-solicitors, um, it'll, it'll come up. And the website and the email and all those details. Thank you very much indeed, Miss Ashling Mean, Agricultural Solicitor. Thank you very much for having spoken to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme. Thank you, Ashling, very much. Thanks a million. Thanks, John. Thanks a million. And that's Farm Talk. I'm John O'Connor. 
Thanks again this week to Barry O'Mahony and Marie Tuig for their contributions to the programme. And a very special thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.